Welcome to Twilio's Patient Experience Podcast Series. This is episode one out of three from the series. I'm Patty Enrado with HIMSS, and I'm with Mauro Faye, Senior Global CX Consultant Boundary at Twilio. Welcome, Mauro. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about innovation. So my first question is, why do you think it took a pandemic to accelerate digital innovation within the healthcare industry? I think that one of the biggest things that were the catalyst for a lot of the digital transformation movement or acceleration had to do with just the fact that we had to react to something that had a lot of uncertainty around it. So when we're not prepared for an incident or a situation, the response is typically reactive in a, in a lot of different capacities. When you react to such a huge amount of a, of an issue like a pandemic, especially a global one, is that you start figuring out where the stress points are pretty quickly, whether that's within the technology, whether in the business operations, or even within the processes that coordinate uh, the human resources or human capital to the response processes that have always traditionally worked. And so when we look at how we are able to observe and react to those components, there's a really interesting uh, aspect that comes along with that, which is what projects do we have identified within our strategic engagement vision that we have to now move up on the timeline or the timetable because of the response of the pandemic and the pressures it's put into our organization or patient. And from that res response, what we found is that there's been actually an acceleration of an average of five years as a result of the pandemic incident impacting all of the different types of digital transformation products uh, globally. And healthcare is, is absolutely not immune to that. As a matter of fact, it was actually put in the forefront of a lot of the projects because of the way that we had to engage with patients and providers and logistics at a global level. And the first half of last year, a lot of that was reactionary. What we started to learn, though, is the companies that were very much already in a digital transformation um, agility type of cycle or, or technology or culture were able to respond much faster and pivot uh, to the response needs at, at really unprecedented speeds with, with little to low friction, not, not absolutely none, but certainly lower than others, which highlighted a lot of things that we needed to go back to. And what was interesting about this pandemic is the way that the agility needs also kind of fit, fit into the resiliency of the, some of these platforms that allowed us to respond to that. So an example is when I had, uh, back in the early 1800s, right, we had, history has documented like the very first healthcare providers coming to one's home in the UK to be able to help uh, patients with uh, whatever ailed them and whatever it was that they needed recovery. And we eventually over time moved away from that. So whether that was because of the metropolitan cities and the, the nature of having patients come to facilities, it's kind of the direction we went into. And what, what this happened is we couldn't do that anymore because of the social dis distancing parameters and the, the nature of the, the the pandemic, right? And for close proximity and so on and so forth. So we had to pivot pretty quickly. So it's, it's ironic that we went back to having in-house or in-home experiences for patient care or touch points, especially with established relationships and using technology like video telehealth medicine or appointment management with more modern and contemporary methods than we did in the past. I think it was a, a combination of the need, the timing of it, and also just the response of the sheer uh, Herculean effort that was going to be in front of us, uh, which is still here, right? Um, that we had to respond to in order for patients not to suffer the most during this pandemic. Great, thank you. So how do you see health organizations reimagining their operations moving forward? 
I think this is a really fascinating question because it there's not a singular answer. Every one of the health organizations are looking at it from a different lens. And so what I look at when when I look at, at what these different use cases and these type of engagements, especially within Twilio Foundry's consulting arm, is looking at you know, what is the patient experience that we're after and what stage of the patient journey are we on? If we look at where we are within those different life cycle stages, and we look at where the technology and the operations and the culture is, we can then establish a plan of digital transformation strategy based on an engagement vision that that organization needs. So in certain instances, whether it was the federal, whether it was state, whether it was uh, the private sector, all of them had to kind of coordinate and they were in different positions. So uh, the World Health Organization, as an example, right, had a lot of the source of truth, but the source of truth had a lot of holes in it because it was an evolving situation early in the year that they were able to then be able to validate, verify, and then summarize within their content, right, uh, through the second quarter into the first half, you know, second half of the year. So Twilio, working with different municipalities and cities uh, and organizations helped with automation as a first step, right? Being able to provide a self-service mechanism at scale that allowed people that had questions about what were some of the symptoms? What were some of the procedures or protocols I had to follow? What are some of the things that were resources available to me um, as the situation unfolded for them individually? Um, but all going back to the same source of truth and getting direct line of sight to that uh, really helped kind of propagate the first level of defense, which is not overwhelming the existing systems that were in place, uh, which is where you have busy signals or you had very long wait times to get responses, is providing technology a mechanism to access that data, but being able to do it in a self-service way so that you could flatten the spikes, uh, you know, flatten the curve also impacted communications in a huge way. Um, and so when you tax all those resources that are finite, how do you address it with technology and applications, especially when you have a spectrum of different type of digital aptitudes? So you have digital natives and then you have those that are not or have various levels, right? The second part is when they're reimagining the journeys is what is the sense of urgency or immediacy? When we look at an appointment management, setting an appointment typically has less of an urgency than being reminded that you have one tomorrow. And so thinking through not just where in the customer or patient life cycle we are in, but also what sense of urgency something is. So if I'm waiting for a phlebotomy result test or looking at um, a medical screening from a scan that I just had, right? MRI or CAT scan or whatever it may be, the patient anxiety level is gonna be higher. And so being able to send notifications that have a higher sense of urgency on a method or channel that has a higher propensity of, um, you know, being opened and being consumed easier, right, for that patient, rather than being forced into one method, which is typically email or going redirected to a portal. Those are going to be examples of, you know, lowering the friction point as it relates to where the anxiety level is in that patient journey. Another way is to be able to also identify if the relationship is new or if it's an established one. So if I have behavioral health, right, because of isolation, and because I can't see, I haven't seen my family in a year because of the pandemic. So we use video quite a bit. But just to think of like, 
if I didn't have relationships already with my doctor, my primary care physician or anybody else, and I was feeling the isolation accumulate for behavioral health issues and I needed to consult someone, if there's not an established level of trust, that's very difficult to kind of establish in a virtual way. So those are the relationships that already were established and trust was established to continue them in a virtual way were easier than they were to establish new ones. So this is where we move from audio to video because contextually you see more. You see the nonverbal cues, right? You see where the anxiety starts or where the confusion starts when you start per talking about prescriptions or recommendations, right? Or exercises to, to go through. And we see this with different levels of needs. So for those in nursing facilities and long-term care that were isolated from their families to introduce a video component that allowed them to check in with their family was one method if they were able to do that. But there was also in-home care that couldn't see their family either. So we, you know, being able to have volunteers participate and check in with like the elderly, right? And the geriatric population to identify like, is, is everything okay? Is there anything you need? And that all dovetails into other services, right? So if I needed contactless delivery or patient, deli you know, uh, medication delivery, those type of things to kind of dovetail into uh, reimagining the experience and then applying the right set of technologies to it. That makes sense. And that's, that's, that's those are great solutions. So um, most of healthcare data is unstructured, as you know. And so within the pandemic, health organizations have amassed more data than ever before. So how do... Uh, do you believe healthcare organizations can best utilize their data sets to gain valuable insights and improve clinical delivery? That's a great question. And it's, it's one of those questions that everyone has a different level of or different perspective or recommendation on a strategy. But it's important to note that if you take a step back and reflect on history, it's like every decision that's been made on a technology stack or where data originates, right, or it's created and then used has evolved over time. And like I said, you know, the, the healthcare industry has modernized in a lot of ways, but some systems and technologies have been opportunistically updated along the way, not all of them universally or uniformly, which is why we have challenges going from, you know, an insurance claim going into a provider, going into a PMS system, and how does that get reconciled in EHR? You start introducing new technologies like self-reported IoT data, like HealthKit and so forth and Fitbit, these become a plethora of, of very digital-centric and very analog-centric worlds that are trying to figure out how to fit together. So one of the things that we look at from the unstructured data perspective is what is contextually still important and valuable and needs to be leveraged in an experience or in a, in a patient journey. If we look at some of the systems of record, which are really collections of facts, right, binary um, type of relationships of who you are, what it is that you need, is there a specialist, is that, you know, what's the care plan, what's the nutrition plan, whatever it may be, is all in a, a system that was constructed based off of facts, right? What we haven't really looked at was the other part of that, which are systems of engagement. And I think that's something that we're very much getting into a lot of discussions, which is what is the propensity to open an email and what time of day do, does this patient typically prefer to get engaged or prefer to communicate through? What tools do they access first? What kind of research do they do first before getting into a conversation to talk to their patient, uh, you know, patient or, or or provider? And so what's interesting is that these two worlds are starting to kind of come together because we have now the behavioral science aspects to the technology of facts, the, the CRM or the EHR system in this case. The second part too is the siloed pieces of information 
that has evolved over time. The way that we acquire patient care or candidates to um, studies, right? Or the, the ability to track them through different cohorts as it relates to contact tracing. Those systems of data might be siloed and independent of each other, not be aware of each other. So looking at strategies to kind of abstract above that rather than consolidate it might be a more impactful mean, uh, means to an end because you're able to then control the timeline in which the modernization of any one data set needs to eventually get to, right? So for whether it's a cloud strategy with regards to, you know, HIPAA eligibility and all the security protocols of patient, uh, you know, BAAs and so forth, or do I keep it on site, but I abstract it through an API layer or API gateway that allows me to access and query that information in this silo and this silo and this silo, but just be able to reconcile the pieces I need that would relate to a patient journey, right? So this system might say, oh, these are the special specialists that I need for the care plan. And this data might say, oh, well, these are my pr primary providers. And this data is saying, this is my healthcare options based on my insurance, right? You know, supplementary insurance, whatever it may be. Being able to put that together to provide a 360 patient profile is I think more impactful in the long term and actually brings back that personalization of patient care that I think is, is an element that everyone is trying to get back they feel less like a number, especially when you have so much going on already with the anxieties and not seeing family and the escalations of responding and not getting answers right away, waiting a week to, to two weeks to three weeks. Being able to, when you do finally get someone to be able to have non-repetitious identification protocols or be able to not repeat what your conditions are and not remind every new person that gets involved as your care plan you know, goes down it's it's natural path not having to repeat oneself right and having the right context for the right person with a high degree of trust and a high degree of accuracy and the way to do that is as close as we can get to those direct line of sights to the pools and sources of truth the better but if they're still siloed figuring out a way to abstract the right information at the right time for the right people right and i think that's really important especially in this time uh, in the in this pandemic. So my next question is, you know, how is Twilio supporting healthcare organizations in personalizing the patient experience that we talked about? That's a great question. And what we found is there's a variety of different ways of doing this, depending on where do where where are the priorities within the healthcare provider or the healthcare use case. And we typically categorize them based off of you know your crawl, walk, run. When you look at that model, especially in an engagement platform like Twilio, is the crawl stage is really looking at where are the engagement touch points happening? What localization do I need to be concerned about? What kind of regular state, you know, governances and adherences do I need to be governed by that need to be part of this experience so that I'm not opening up liability and so forth? If we look at the crawl stage and examples might be something as simple as appointment management, right? And, and schedule management. It's been around for a very long time. And we all know some of the metrics around what drives that uh, of missed appointment being expensive for the provider, but also inefficient within the systems that need to reconcile for, especially for continuing care, right? Being able to look at where do I need to set the appointment, but also what do I need to remind or nudge the, the patient about before the actual date? Are there any updates to your insurance plan? Are there any type of things that they can provide ahead of time. This becomes increasingly more important as we get to telehealth because now we've introduced a technology variable, not the, the telehealth itself, but the device that they're using and the location that they're using. So looking at the situations within those experiences 
is first, let's look at the engagement model. Let's look at what the engagement strategy needs to be and what the envision is that we're striving for. The second part is then to contextualize. This is the walk stage where we contextualize those engagements to say, ah, when we go through a patient journey, I've noticed that this particular patient cohort type or segmentation type, it might be demographic, it might be you know, the need of the care plan that they're on, behavioral versus a physical, right? A, a blood test like phlebotomy checkup versus a condition that's, that uh, I started to identify. That, those segmentation bits will allow us to provide some contextual interpretations from all the different engagement touch points that we collect and, and use. So contextually, we can start saying, ah, for this particular customer segmentation type that has this type of condition, and I'll use a, you know, a large percentage of the population has diabetes, right? And some of it is preventable through dietary means. So one of the things that is very difficult is creating a new habit. So these are examples of nudge campaigns that we can say, ah, okay, great. We know what your condition is. We know what stage you're in and we can control it through diet and medication. So reminding you that your medication is running low and to reorder is very tactical. However, the behavioral aspects of your nutrition and looking for low glycemic alternatives or looking at a nutrition coach, finding and building a sense of community to support them and being successful in those behavioral changes so that A, it becomes less taxing to uh, the, the, the um, carrier, I'm sorry, the, the patient operator, you know, the healthcare operators, right? Providers. It also becomes less taxing for claims because it's something that's preventable through behavioral modification. It also builds a sense of awareness and education with a community to support success, right? You have someone that can coach you. You have someone that can touch and, and like uh, that's been through it already. Uh, someone that can help navigate what you should buy to make purchasing modification decisions, right? From that's, you know, this has got the wrong set of ingredients and, and you know, GMO versus organic, these type of things. And these are incremental reinforcement points that we find, especially in the walk stage, where we can start contextualizing it. The third is really that personalization. You need fundamentally the engagement touch points and the context in order to understand how to then personalize. The personalization aspect is really looking at micro-segmentation. It might be looking at all the different ways in which we can contextually relate to the different resources that are available. But now we're really getting into the leading indicators of, of a condition or behavior and the uh, perceived outcomes with a high degree of success, right? So what are the early signs of somebody being successful in changing a diet or changing their routine, whether it's um, you know heart disease or whether it's overweight, whether it's a whole bunch of like behavioral uh, needs to be like to avoid isolation, right? All of these become now segmentation data points that allows us to put together an experience that's unique to you or to people that are like you. And that is fundamentally the shift between contextually, every like addressing a, a larger set of population contextually, knowing who I am, but now relating not only not only that you know who I am, but what I like, but also others that are like me that are have a higher degree of success. Great. Well, thank you, Mauro, for joining us today. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to episode two of Twilio's Patient Experience podcast series.